Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 251 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Um, how you all doing, guys? Been a wonderful reaction to the uh, the guests so far this year. Believe me, I've got some gold to come, and today is no exception. But yeah, the reaction to the Richard E. Grant episode last week was amazing. Obviously, I lucked out hugely by getting him the day after he'd been nominated for an Oscar for the first time in his 40-plus year career. So I kind of I lucked out there. But yeah, it's a great one. Um, Mark Miller and, and, and Adam McKay were, were both the previous week. And the Adam McKay one seemed to surprise a lot of people because often we don't know... Or well, there's a lot of writers and directors that don't put themselves at the forefront, I think. And Adam McKay, obviously, is up for loads of awards for Vice um, and won awards for the big short, but also did Anchorman and, 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 and Step Brothers and the other guys and loads of good stuff. So, so that was a great one. And we had some good talks on there about um, The Rock and Mark Wahlberg, which is things I'll always be up for talking about. And then the first guest of the year was Eddie Marson. So, yeah. Hell of a hell of a start, and this podcast now I actually recorded after the Eddie Marson episode, so I had Eddie, and it went. I, I was really pleased with how it went, um, and in the same hotel, I was lined up two and a half hours later to talk to today's guest, Joel Egerton, who I was again obviously hugely excited to talk to because he's he's massive. He's a really good actor, but also a really good writer and director. So I was excited about that. And I had a two-hour gap and up the road, exactly timed perfectly, um, at the at Picture House Central was a screening of Three Identical Brothers, which was a documentary I wanted to catch. Um, and it was amazing. I loved it. So, yeah, it was a hell of a day. I went and watched that. And then I came back and spoke to Joel. And we hit it off. He was the nicest guy. You'll hear from the start that it takes us a while. I mean, we do the typical starting the podcast mid-conversation but but this was proper like as he walked in we started having a conversation and it was kind of like all right i'm rolling is it okay to roll excellent um and we don't even talk about films or tv for the first chunk but anyway um i should mention before we go i've been hyping it for ages but i've launched my new merch over at speechdevelopmentrecords.com i bet some some people click fast forward here if you don't if you're part of the non-fast forward crew then give me a tweet um at scrubius pipio and i will respond to anyone who's not part of the fast forward crew yeah it's it's these amazing gloves i made that on the inside of the fingers you kind of throw up a weird gang sign and on the inside of the thing fingers it says our slogan of we may not be for you and that's fine and it's kind of dope and also we did these bandanas uh or face mask things yeah so they're cool. Anyway, I'm not going to bang on about it. They're all at speechdevelopmentrecords.com. Um, I previewed them on Patreon, and and those guys managed to crash my um, website. So they're going down well. Speaking of Patreon, I launched um, Poem of the Month on Patreon this month. And a lot of you will know me from my spoken word days or from my music days. Some of you will only know me from my podcasting days. Some will only know me from my acting days. I know... When I was into in t- t- a taboo, I got a lot of new uh, podcast listeners. So yeah, it's a real mix of where you've all come from. But I started off doing spoken word, and I wanted to do some stuff for the Patreon lot because it's still a lot of these patrons you'll hear. They're like, it's only a tenner a month or whatever, and that's fine because they produce a lot more 
stuff than me <laughs> but mine's a dollar a month that's the minimum amount you can pay more if you want but there's no tiers it's just one dollar a month gets you the same as ten dollars a month so you can be tight but i wanted to add these so i found a hard drive that had loads of old poems on from my early days of spoken words so, so some of these have probably at the most been said out loud in a room of about 10 people um and i haven't l- looked at them or thought of them in over 10 years in or in 10 years yeah so they're all from 2005 and 2006 so in 13 years and 14 years so yeah that's kind of nuts it's on patreon it it went up on monday it's going to be the first monday of the month is is poem of the month over on patreon and the third monday of the month is the distraction pieces rewind which i will tell you more about at the end because this intro is already too long and I want to get into this conversation. We had a limited amount of time, but I really was pleased with with what we got. There's a specific bit I wanted to talk about afterwards, but I don't want to give any spoilers. So, for now, oh, I should mention as well, the point of this, the reason it's coming out on this date, is we were talking about his new film, Boy Erased, which he's written, directed and starred in, um, and it's fantastic. It's another one that's getting tons of award murmurs, and yeah, it's really good. I can't recommend it enough. I, I Last year I had Desiree Akavan on, who had a film out called The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which both of these are about the kind of pray-them-straight things they have in America and have had. And, yeah, they're both amazing. But, but yeah, I absolutely adored this. I was, I was concerned going into it because I've already watched a film on this subject. They're completely different, give completely different... Um, takes and looks but yeah i love it so go and see it in the cinema i don't think there's really any spoilers in this is joel's is based on a true story so it's kind of tough with spoilers because it's all real people it's what happened and the performances in this oh my i mean we get into it in the podcast let's get into the podcast oh oh also i should mention this week pod bible launches and pod bible is a pod a free podcast magazine that, that i was asked to get involved with uh by Stu Whiffin and, and Adam Richardson. Um, it's in association with Spotify and Acast. It's amazing. Um, there's reviews. There's a section from Buddy Peace, who's a great producer um, of this podcast. And, you know, I don't think I, I make him have to do l- loads of work. It's not like I make him cut things and move them around or anything. I just intro, outro, podcast. Um, but yeah, he's he's got a column in there about how to create your own podcast. There's a lot of sections. It's, it, there's a lot of recommending podcasts. There's an interview with Adam Buxton and an interview with Craig Richardson, both in this first um, this first edition. Um, it's going to be every two months, and we, we will have given them out ourselves personally on Monday at train stations in London. We will also have left a load in London, and the good news is the digital version will be out on Monday, uh, the 11th of February. So follow all the Pod Bible at Pod Bible on Twitter, Instagram, and all that, and you'll get all the information. This is episode 251 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Joel Egerton. enjoy yourself um i'm joined today by joel edgerton how are you i'm very good very how's, good how's it all been going uh excellent actually i've just actually had a 
you know, we, we've been on the press trail for Boy Rays in various forms through festivals for a long time. Yeah. And then I've had a couple of nice little, like, pockets of breaks, and you've yeah. caught me <laughs> right after my last little break where I had a little trip to Ethiopia for oh, the wow. first time. How was that? Kind of amazing, dude. Is that work or, or? Well, I, so I'm involved with a. Um, this is actually. It's. I don't mind a, sh- a shameless plug about this because yeah. it's helpful, good information. Is I uh, years ago just through a, a friend. His father was the CEO of a, of a foundation called the Fred Hollows Foundation, right? Who operate in about uh, I think 25 countries around the world now. It started as an indigenous health issue in Australia. Yeah. Fred Hollows was a doctor who corrected uh, cataracts, basically around eye health, eye surgeries. And so last year, you know, I'd done a couple of trips with them to places like Nepal and regional New South Wales. Yeah. And we raised some money last year that was for this big uh, trachoma project in Ethiopia. Yeah. And I made a promise to the doctor when I was there in in this fancy rooftop hotel in LA. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to go I I was like eight vodkas down. I was like, I'm going to come and see you in Ethiopia and see see what you do. And so I finally got to do that. It's amazing that those trusts and funds exist because there's so many things that have been cured other than financially. Do you know oh, what yeah. I mean? They're curable, they're, they're treatable, yet it's the countries who just can't afford to pay the crazy prices for all of it that, that people are dying of this stuff still. Stuff that in, in the first world as such, it's like, oh, that's, that's something you can go and get fixed. Yeah. Whereas in other countries, people are, are suffering for years because the money is Yeah, there. and they have a real chance of like put, putting a lid on trachoma there within the next few years if they, if they handle it right. Now, I heard the craziest thing the other day. I don't know if you know about an actor. He worked on The Great Gatsby, which I worked on. Right. He's, he's probably considered India's most famous, greatest actor right. of all time, a guy called Amitabh Bachchan. Right. And someone in Ethiopia told me, you know, this is the power of, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm minuscule compared to him, but yeah. when you lend your face or your name or your support to raising awareness... Amitabh went on TV in India, supposedly. Yeah. I've got to check my facts here, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, hey, when, yeah. when, I started, when I started a true rumour here, yeah. and I think it is true that Amitabh, being so powerful in India, went on TV and told people they had to get their kids inoculated against polio. Yeah. And now there is zero uh, new cases of polio it's in amazing. India. It's amazing. It's the, the power of Amitabh. It's the positivity of that kind of reach and, ch- and charity in the modern world has got really confusing and weird because it can be used as a badge, it can be used as a PR thing. But I think it's also bad to turn your nose up at that stuff too much because mm. even if some company or whatever is using it to say, aren't we good people, if good's being done, it, that's more important than saying, oh, look at them, they're just cashing in. It's like, yeah, but they're saving lives. Yeah, they're doing it just to save yeah. face or whatever, but they're saving lives as There's well. There's a reason so why you hold a gala function yeah. And, and an auction is because people get to – they give the money. But yeah. part of the reason is they get to have a room full of 500 people, watch them be good people. So, And I'm, I feel exactly the same. It's like I don't care how much someone pats themselves on the back yeah. if they're giving some money away. I, I struggled great. with it for years. I'd, honestly, I'd get really annoyed about the patting on the back and then it was that realisation. It's like, yeah, but the good's being no, done. Two people so are being helped here, you know, yourself. you and that other person. 100%. The, the thing I'm disappointed about is being on the street and seeing people coming up and going, I'm collecting money for this charity and yeah. the fact that there are, there are shonky people out there stealing yeah. money I feel very sad that I'm now. I now almost don't trust anyone <laughs> who's such, asking me for money on the street. It's such a weird one because there's a lot of misinformation there as well. When it was mm. kind of pushed for a long time, the whole 
there's two things I don't agree with on. It was pushed that if you give homeless people money, they're going to spend it on booze and drugs and stuff like that. N- number one, I probably would too if I was in that situation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Fair play to them. I wasn't expecting them to go and <laughs> get a degree with it. It's like you, you, you're freezing on the streets. I can't get that mad at that. But there's there's a guy called Arutka Bregman I had on who's got an amazing book um, called A Utopia for Realists. And there were these tests done where instead of offering aid and all these other things to, I think it was a, 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 a test group of six homeless people who'd been homeless in London for a long time, they just gave them money. They mm. gave them something like... T- 10 grand or something like that. And it ended up saving the government money over that year because they did all just pull themselves out of it. And they weren't using up, you know, the expenses of the police and the, and the hospitals and all that kind of thing. Mm. And it's this weird thing. If we get this paranoia of, oh, what are they spending it on? It's like, if you stop asking that the majority of the time, people will, will use it for good and use it to pull themselves out. Yeah, of. can you imagine being in that cycle where you go, all I need is five grand yeah. and, and I could turn that five grand into yeah. into the rest of my life. Completely. But not being able to get your hands on the cash. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's that thing as well. In, in this book, it kind of talked about how we have people, hundreds of people on salaries who are in charge of checking checklists to see if someone's okay to get this charity donation or whatever else. It's like... You're wasting tons of the money there. You're yeah, wasting yeah. tons of the money that could be going directly to people because we're making everyone jump through hoops. Are you poor enough? Yeah. Are you poor enough to get free food? If you want free food, you're probably poor enough to get free food. That's a dire situation, you know. Yeah, yeah. the so, money yeah. does spill off. It does shed. Yeah. It sheds its skin along the way until it gets finally to the place. Yeah. Diminished. It's a tough one. Yeah. But um, so so so, how do you find press junkets when you're, you know, the writer, the director? And in it compared to when it's just a film that you're in, is it a more is is it easier to get excited about them? Because again, they can be a bit. You're answering the same questions, you're doing the same things, but I'd imagine when you're it's your baby so much, it must be. Yeah, it's, it's a totally different thing. It, it, you know, it, also like watching a movie. Uh, you know, look when you're an actor, you 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 chance that by the time I'm sitting across from you, I've gone and shot two or three other yeah. movies. And then someone's then going, hey, have a look at this, this thing you did last year. Yeah. And you go, oh, that was great. I'm going to take that. credit for that. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. oh that, was, that, was load, that was a pile of shit. Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, but, but I'm going to go on the junket and I'm going to be positive. And, you know, most of the time lately, because I've had the luxury of having a nice time of choosing stuff that I yeah. feel passionate about, generally I'm really interested to do the junkets. Not to say you don't get fatigue set in and all that stuff, yeah. but – being an actor is definitely like a, a slightly removed part of the process. You talk about, you know, your cog in the wheel. Yeah. Um, you do, you know, sit around sort of praising all the other people quite a bit and and, and hopefully rightfully so without yeah. lying. It's why I never ask, how was it working with X, Y, Z? Because no, no actor has ever said, oh, they were a pre- on the press junket of the film yeah, no. or they were a dick. It's always going to be, oh, it's great. Yeah, amazing, amazing. <laughs> so we stop rolling yeah. and we can ask how it was working with this person. <laughs> That's that so person. true. But- Imagine you just had someone who was just so honest. It's just, it's just like... Well, you know, you know, technically he was a director, but um, I didn't really see much directing going on. I saw him at craft services, <laughs> yeah. a lot of stuffing his face with peanut yeah, crackers. Completely. Uh, um, the conversations that go on 
<laughs> behind the scenes, yeah, put them yeah. on the mic. That would be uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, what was it like working with that actor? Yeah, well, you know, yeah, he was just constantly trying to get into my pants and we hated <laughs> yeah. each other. And, it's uh, an absolute nightmare. I think he's actually a very average actor. <laughs> um, yeah, but we got through it okay. Um, the, you know, being a director, writer, there's definitely a sense. I described the very first time I ever watched a movie that I wrote, which my brother directed. Mm. We both sat there in the cinema sweating buckets and I was like, that was like watching a, a slideshow with 1,500 people yeah. of nude photos of me. Yeah. Like, there's something far more exposing about being the one responsible for saying, you know, I wrote this, I directed it. Even though this is, you know, this is a memoir, it's still yeah. me going, I, every frame, every fingerprint on this movie is, is, is mine. I stand by all the ideas in it. Yeah. I rendered it this way. I, ch- you know, you, you're really exposing yourself and and putting yourself out there for judgment, as any artwork is is going yeah. to be. Um, and it's got to be hard to know if it's good or not when you're that deep into it. I oh mean, yeah. I mean, as an actor, you get to do your thing, then step away, and then freshly go. Am I sitting here enjoying this, or am I sitting here squirming? Whereas when you're the writer and director, you're so into every all the minutia of the of, of the project. You don't Mm. know until other people see it. Absolutely. I mean, you you know, the moment you step away from a project as an actor, you sail far enough away that when you come back to the dock, you know, you you can really appraise that journey, you know, at what the director's done. But but when you've just been, you know, it's like being a mad scientist in the garage, like trying to build something and then... You know, at some point, someone opens a garage and you're blinded by the light and you're reintroduced to the rest of the world and you're like, here's the thing I made. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. please love me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you don't know, like you're saying, you don't know what you've done. Yeah. You know, you, you – but here's the thing. If, you, if you're an open-minded enough person and you have enough friends that you trust that, are, that have good taste, you bring them into the process – you listen to what they have to say. You you listen with the right ears so that you can filter that. Um, you you understand where you're going to stand your ground. Like what do you yeah. you know what you wanted to achieve, and so listen to feedback according to what you know you wanted to do. Um, if nothing else, it makes you n- know you've got it right. If, if if someone picks something out and you say no, the reason for that is this. Yeah. Then you've got that. You know it's it's there for a reason. It wasn't just it's not just landed that way. Yeah. So you can kind of take that. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, you know, you, you could start to sort of gain some objectivity, but at some point you have to put the brushes down. Yeah. You know, and, and usually the moment you put the brushes down, sadly, is the, the point where you have the least amount of objectivity. Yeah. And it's a terrifying moment. It's like when the teacher says, you know, you know, you, you know, put the pencils down. You can't, you can't answer any more questions. Yeah, You're like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not finished yet. Yeah, yeah. Because someone once said, I don't know, I, I, I say this a lot because I never know who said what, but someone said film's never finished. It's just sort of taken away from yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and you'll, I don't know, I, th- I wonder if every artist looks at things like look at a painting or, or you know, a piece of music they've created or a novel they've written and gone, I wish I could just go back and fix X, Y, and Z. And I think it's important to not do that. I think it's important to go, I did what I could do with the information I had and the brain that I had and the taste that I had in that moment. And whatever I feel is deficient in that piece of work now, looking back, will be a learning lesson for the next time I get to paint the canvas. It's key to learn that or to realise that it's not your one piece of work. No. There's going to be more pieces of work. So if, if there's, the you can learn yeah. from that and go on. I'd, 
uh, before I did or podcasting and acting, um, I did a music for 10 years and I got to, to tour the world on that. And it was a mad one on that because I'd hear a song of mine come on the radio years later and I wouldn't realise that that's how the song sounds because you'd finished the, the album, but then the songs had developed touring it for two years that you'd think, oh, the song just sounds like this. And then you'd hear how everyone else, all the fans are hearing it constantly. It's like, <laughs> all right, that you think before you go into the interview that that's the finishing point. You record the album, it's done. Yeah. But it's that thing of, it's, it's if you're allowed to, it's ever evolving. So yeah, it's, it's finding that point to go, that's that, that's what the world is getting. I, I'm really interested in musicians and whenever I've met people who, who tour a lot, I've, yeah. I've often asked them that question is like, you know, because there was always the pressure, maybe pre-internet as well, or maybe even more post-internet, is you finish a concert with a song that the fans unanimously have decided yeah. lo- that they love the most. You know, and I, I quite often ask, you know, lead singers of bands or people I know, I'm like, how do you feel about that final song you have to play? Yeah. Or is there a song that everybody loves that you are so sick of? Yeah. Because you know, the idea of singing the same song every night um, could be a jubilation thing or it could be a chore, just like being a comedian and telling the same jokes. I think it depends on your relationship with the crowd because it's the crowd that makes it different each night. That's what kind of of gives you that buzz. It is you're going over the same things. And I don't care who you ask, if you're doing five, six gigs a week for several months – you're going through the motions at certain points. It's, it's what it's what got me into acting. I had um, a Simon Pegg and a couple of other actors who had come to my shows, kind of, they knew I was a big TV and film fan, and they kind of said, you know you're acting every night, right? Mm. You know when you're doing that angry song, you're not really angry, and you're probably not even thinking about it anymore, but from off stage, it's explosive, it's furious. That's, that's acting. The and that kind of gave yeah. me the, the confidence to kind of move into it, because I was like, you've got... To, a 10 years experience. Yeah. You're not just coming in like, it's just a slightly different world. It's something I have a very, like massive envy for, for people who play live shows because that, that moment where you realize that a whole collection of people are singing out loud, your song must do like incredibly dangerous things to the ego. It's it's madness, but it's, it's, for, for me, it was great because on like when I decided I was going to do my last gig and focus on 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 acting and writing scripts and stuff like that, um, it was after my biggest album and biggest tour. So our last gig was ten to fifteen thousand people who knew it was our last gig, all singing every word. So now it's easy to not go back because I've got that perfect ending. Yeah, if right. You know right, what I mean? It's right, easy. Yeah. I have people offer me student gigs or whatever else or big paying corporate gigs. It's like, no, you're not taking that last gig away from me at the moment i've got that massive everyone knew every word you feel like you're you're bon jovi or whatever and and it's like right i'm gonna leave it there and yeah. go and do this now drop the mic of, literally yeah. so so so, 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 so boy raised what was the drive to tell that story was religion a part of your upbringing or a, a part of your life yeah look there's, there's a lot of drives i I, I actually can't kind of can't really articulate exactly why you know somebody else's life in a memoir form picked me up and dragged me along for mm. a whole year and a half or two years of my life. Yeah. Except that there were trace elements that you know I'm I'm fascinated by institutions. Yeah. I was fearful of them as a child. I think I watched too many scary movies about prisons and 
a TV show called, uh, do you remember a show called Cell Block H? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we called it Prisoner. Yeah. And um, it was my, my late nan, night ch- ch- Channel 4 over yeah, here. My, the- my nan used to let me watch it whenever I'd stay over at oh, her wow. house. And I was like seven or eight, you know. It's gritty. I remember my first <laughs> nightmares being about prisoner, yeah. about, you know, you know, these like, you know, <laughs> what's her name, B and all that, you know, yeah. like trying to force drugs down my yeah, throat. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> um, and And so there was that, you know, the, 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 the fear of being separated from my parents, you know, the fascination with those kind of lockable institutions. And to clarify for anyone, it's, it's, it's about a kind of, pray yourself straight type institution the, yeah. the the catholic kind of rehabilitation for the sickness of homosexuality or, or yeah or- so the nutshell of boy raised is is that garrett uh conley wrote a memoir about his experience in 2004 yeah he, he's viciously outed mm. in his first year at community college by a supposed acquaintance who, who who did something very bad to him and then outed him to his parents garrett's father was a baptist minister yeah with his own congregation he sent Garrett to what is referred to by some people as a gay conversion therapy yes. uh, place for an assessment program. His mother was chaperoning him because he was a young person. And uh, through that process, his mother started, who was complicit in sending him there, started to sort of tune into, I guess, her maternal instincts that it, that it was doing more harm yeah. than good to him and that he was in a lot of pain and yeah. she actually decided to to side with him and and help him uh make a different kind of choice and and ultimately accepted him and his sexuality um you know i i think what made me read the book was that fascination with the institutions yeah and what made me want to make the it into a movie was you know, the big theme in my writing and what I'm fascinated by is when people make mistakes and then they're willing to re-examine that, the choices yeah. they made. And and his mother is such a hero in real life that against religion, which when you look at the South Bible Belt in America, is such a big force of influence mm-hmm. in everybody's, the tapestry of every part of your life. Yeah. And, and she was willing to go against her husband and she was very much the Baptist minister's wife. Yeah. And to embrace homosexuality in her son, which was a big taboo. Huge. There's something deeply heroic about her in that yeah. roundabout. And so, uh, you know, as much as I wanted to shine a light on uh, uh, conversion therapy because I found it like a cult-like fascination yeah. uh, type thing, there was something about the hopefulness of the family story that yeah. I thought was worth putting on the screen as a roadmap for other parents, right and wrong, to go, watch this family go in the wrong direction and find their way back. It, re- it really comes across because it's not just an attack piece on this institution or anything like that. Everyone in it has such depth and the characters are, are fallible. They're not just, here's the baddies, here's the goodies. They all kind of dr- drift in that world. So yeah. it's kind of, it, it really, yeah, I loved how it told it. And it also, it showed the power of, of those institutions. Because I, I had a Catholic upbringing and I, it, it wasn't for me in the end, but it wasn't particularly Same with it was me, just, yeah. here's, here's the stuff. And I found myself, when watching it, m- mouthing amen when you meant to say amen or going to clap when they're bringing the clapping. Because it's all, because that's, the way they do it, the showmanship, is to draw you in as a crowd. So it's oh, like yeah. kind of, because you're there as a crowd in the audience, it's kind of, it's, it's weird it's a weird comparison, but it was similar when I saw Creed 2 recently. Oh, yeah. Because you're watching a boxing match. Yeah. When people cheer there, in the cinema, everyone's cheering. I'm like, oh, yeah, it gets you that's it. not what we do in England. Like, it's quite an American thing to cheer in the cinema and stuff like that. But it was similar on this because 
you feel as if you're part of that audience watching the sermon, watching the, the inspirational talk, you get drawn in. And that's, mm. that's powerful because you're not there. So you can see how influential that can be to the people who are there, to the people of that community or whatever else. Oh, yeah. And there's something you point out about, you know, the, the lack of sort of uh, villains in this, in this movie is, you know, I, w- w- before I picked up the book and, and someone said, oh, this, okay, this kid went through conversion therapy. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to get a glimpse into the madness. Yeah. There's going to be blood on the pages. It's going to be about, yeah. about hateful, evil parents. And hateful, evil ministers and hateful, evil, evil kind of, you know, uh, therapist. And I was shocked because I, was, I, I had to acknowledge when I put the book down, I was like, those parents did what they did to him out of an act of love, 100%. thinking they were helping him because mm. the community, the culture of the community they lived in was such that that, that kind of sexuality of Garrett wanting to be with men was a choice, that it was sinful, they would forsake God, mm. that it would lead to all sorts of pain and sickness and illness for him. Um, and their belief system taught them that, 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 God, you know, that God would forsake him. So you know, they were like, well, we love him so much, we want to help change yeah. him. And we'll do anything to, to, yeah. and to save him. In and, the, and the weird compassion behind that choice, what to me was like a conundrum that... that that would be very hard to navigate if you were a young gay man or a young gay woman. Yeah. To, to imagine that catch-22 inside the roof of your own house where your mum and dad are going, hey, look, we love you and we love you so much, we're going to send you to a facility that can change you. Yeah. And then as you go through it, you go, yeah, yeah, you're all right, because you're given the ultimatum, which he was. You know, yeah. you can't live here if you're going to be gay. And, and then you go there and then you go, none of this stuff seems to be working on me because yeah. lo and behold what they were selling <laughs> is not real you yeah. can't see sexuality as a choice yeah. you can't you can't be re-corrected yeah There's nothing to correct so the, the 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 people in this film that need conversion are the parents the the community needs conversion yeah yeah, yeah and that's yeah. what's interesting and the people doing the converting again that's the beautiful part i don't want to give spoilers or whatever but there's parts in the story and particularly in the the, the what happened afterwards that kind of revealed that so much of it they've brainwashed themselves into it. It's not necessarily that they're trying to brainwash other people or cult type thing. They've brainwashed themselves yeah, to think that remind, what they're doing is they're is there right. to remind themselves that they're on the right path. Yeah. Because you know And by converting other people it proves that, that you're on the right path because this works. Look, we're doing it, it for others. Yeah, yeah. Whereas it's not it's like if it fails then make sure you go well, maybe this is all bullshit. You know, you know? How, like sometimes you hit certain bits of information in life, you know, in this case through research for me, where you go, I'd never thought of that, but yeah, gee, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, that, that sort of aha moment yeah, where you go, yeah, yeah. it's surprising yet inevitable. Yeah. It, it is the moment I started dipping my toe into researching more about conversion therapy places. I look at like, you can see documentaries on, on Vice on YouTube yeah. and various places. Every time I saw like a documentary about these places, I was like, wait on a second, that, that therapist or that staff members, they seem gay to yeah, me. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and what you realise is a lot of people that were staffing the places had originally been clients, as they call them. They, yeah. They'd been through the program. And just like Love in Action, the, the therapy in our film, was an appropriation of the 12-step program. Yeah. It was like they yeah. used AA as a kind of a model to, yeah, to treat uh, no, sexuality like it was an addiction. Yeah. You go... 
just like in AA, the way to kind of keep yourself on track is to stay in the program. Yeah. So you find people went through love in action or other conversion therapy places, and then the way to remind themselves they're on the right path is, hey, I'll go and volunteer. Yeah. I'll go and become one of the staff members. Yeah. So you go, oh, wow, that makes sense. It keeps it constantly in your life and it reaffirms yeah. the choices that you've made. Yeah, it's, it's a mad it's, one. It's bizarre. So, you know, you've got all these people running the show yeah. who once were clients. Yeah. You know, it, it does make sense because you go, who else would run this thing? And, you know, Flea's character in the movie. He's the one that kind of comes across as the, the closest to a clearer bad guy. But, yeah, you like know, at you're like, oh, this is just a nasty a nasty dude. Well, just to talk about, you know, the, the, the upside-down nature of the place is yeah. he, he's the, the, the real character that he's based on, the real person that mm. he's based on was a guy who'd been in prison for, for battering his wife and for, for drug charges. Right. And then while he was in prison, had found Jesus. Yeah. And then they figured, like, well, these kids are, are, are similar. They're licking the flames of hell. Yeah. If, if you can help them, you know, reacquaint themselves with Jesus, then you're, you're qualified for this job. And you're yeah, like, wait on, it's crazy. They're hardened criminal yeah. being brought into a facility to teach kids, you know, how to, how to have a better relationship with God and on the side – how to play sport and change the oil in a car yeah. and change the tire be in a, a car. Man. Yeah, for when you get a girlfriend, when yeah, you're on the yeah. outside, you know. It's mad, isn't it? Mm. So, so, so was writing and directing always, always the goal? I mean, in general, in fact, gr- growing up in in Australia, was acting always like, or put forward as a viable option as a goal, or was it something that that seemed out of reach? I think Australia is similar to to, to Ireland in that it produces. So much amazing content, but it kind of it landlocks it. There's yeah. stuff like Underbelly that is one of the best series ever, yet it kind of stayed in Australia mainly. It got out a bit, and yeah. um, I want to talk about Animal Kingdom as well because I, I love that. But these things that are kind of made for, by you for you, for yeah, you, by you kind of thing. And so how was that kind of going, right, I want to do this not only as a profession, but internationally, as a worldwide thing? As a Well, it's like, it was like... The onion sort of opened up for me as I went, you know, like I never really I, – look, I, I will admit to being incredibly uh, ambitious workaholic now. Yeah. Back then I went to drama school with an aim to work in the theatre and that was the ceiling I'd set for myself. I was like, I work in the theatre. Um, and then I met an actor at a party who'd been doing like movies and I was like, oh – I'd love to do movies. And then I yeah. sort of started trying to dip my toe in that world. My brother and I, at the same time, started building our own company, not because we, we wanted to become uh, filmmakers, but we wanted to make a film to try and help us get jobs in film. Completely. The byproduct of that was we, we were like, wow, we really enjoyed doing that. So let's make another film. Yeah. Um, which is how Blue Tongue Films started and David Michaud and all those guys. Yeah. But we, all the scripts I'm writing at the moment happen to have a big tall bearded guy in. So yeah, it's, it's exactly <laughs> yeah, that. It's exactly, yeah, well, exactly. I'm not getting, I'm not, I'm not seeing the characters I want to play. So let's write, write them. them. Let's yeah, make them. Let's dude. create them. That's that's it's exactly what, that. It's, that's what the gift was born out of. It's, yeah. it's like going, all right, what do I want to do? And if I have the opportunity to create it, then I'm going to do it. You yeah. know. Um. And so you know, back in those days. The ceiling was very low, and even when I started working on Australian TV and film, I was like, all right, well, that's it. I made it. I'm going to make Australian movies. And then, you know, it was guys like Heath and, 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 you know, definitely guys like Russell who'd crossed 
across the Atlantic or whatever the, that body, big body of water's yeah, called, yeah. and were carving it up in Hollywood. And I was yeah. like, I want me a bit of that. Yeah. So then I went and tried to explore that. The idea of standing front and center of directing a movie was never really the plan. I, I, um, I was always writing when I was at school. I was always writing things and skits and reviews and, and, and short stories and stuff. And then it was really when my brother decided he was really interested in doing more directing and he, he wasn't a writer. He's like, yeah. you know, basically cracked the whip and goes, Joel, you know how to use a typewriter, go for yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, you know how to use a computer, go for it. And so I started writing almost as like my brother's sweatshop, you yeah. know, <laughs> and then yeah. I grew a love for it because I started to really investigate what true screenwriting was, yeah. you know, looking at screenwriting books and, and giving myself an education. And now I'm so in love with writing and telling stories that now I want to do all of it. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So, so how was it when, I mean, going back to kind of Animal Kingdom, when you had y- yourself, David Meshod, as, you, yeah. as you said, and Ben Mandelson, I think, is one of the most underrated guys obviously he's very rated but i think he's just an amazing actor and that amazing kind of group of people to kind of go this has worked now let's go and take over the world <laughs> such kind of thing. how was that to work with those people and realize it's not just for us it's not just this this niche we've made this thing that felt quite niche it felt kind of like um obviously it's got a lot of darkness in it it, it, it felt like you once were warriors and that kind of thing where it's t- telling a very local and personal story but then you realize that that translates all over the world and is relatable everywhere what's an interesting way of making it in hollywood it seems and this happened with chopper with eric banner Mm -hmm. it happened definitely with a handful of us on animal kingdom is you know interesting to think that i was away over in the states making a few things here and there and then i was like hey i'm just gonna go back home yeah with a buddy of mine and make this little Australian movie. And they're like, oh, why would you want to do that? It's just like you're saying, it'll just be something that will never travel. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and and then that that film, when it won Sundance, had more of an effect over most of our careers than anything we'd ever done in the States. Really? And so all you need to do, this is, what, this is one of my recipes to success, yeah. is you, you don't need America at large to go and turn it into a box office hit all you need to do is make a movie that appeals to everyone in Hollywood. Yeah. All the directors, yeah. all the casting agents. If Hollywood embrace it, which they did with Chopper. I mean, Chopper yeah. only made a few million, a couple of million dollars in the States, but you can guarantee most of those people saw it at Arclight LA yeah. or, or, or the Landmark Cinema or something. And the same thing happened with Animal Kingdom. And suddenly, yeah. like, we were... We, we had done something super special and all these amazing filmmakers were patting David on the back for making it. They were, they were calling up to find out what Ben and I were doing next yeah. and Jackie Weaver just had a explode, like yeah. a re- renaissance of her career. So all you've got to do is make a movie that Hollywood loves and then, and then, and then just you know, go take a crack or as yeah. my brother and I say, take a shot at the title. <laughs> yeah. Ch- Chopper got me a promotion at work. I was working in a, yeah. a, a, a film. I was working in HMV, which is films and DVDs and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And um, the dog with the gramophone. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. The guy was in charge of the DVDs. A, a section was off, and I ordered. I saw on the ordering thing that Chopper and Scum were available, and at that oh, point, Ray all Winston. DVDs. Yeah, all DVDs were like twenty quid, and these had come out as re- retail price of a fiver. And I was like, I just ordered a hundred of each, and I was like, if we put them on the till. They're going to go. And as soon as the order came in, people were like, why have you ordered this? You're in trouble. We put them on the till. 
they flew out. And oh, literally, yeah. that was our big thing over Christmas, these, these kind of cult films, because it was exactly that. It was like, right, these films are great, but they didn't do big box office at the, the cinema. So mm. now they're affordable at home. At that point, you kind of looked at what was big in the cinema. Well, that's what we'll get a lot of, of DVDs of. And I was mm. kind of going, well, no. How about the stuff that people have maybe heard of but didn't see if it's cheap enough? Yeah, they're the I'll ones... take that, a punt on it. They're the ones to be real proud of too because those are the movies that stand the test of time. It's yeah. like, you know, like we, we, we made that movie Warrior, Gavin O'Connor and Tom Hardy and... No, no, one of the ones saw wanted... that in the first weekend. No, but... I, I saw it in the first weekend. I'm, oh, you did? I'm a big MMA fan, yeah. and I'm a Tom Hardy fan, and weirdly, a taboo was the, the thing that I've got my, my biggest acting break in, so oh. I buddied up with Tom, and Tom's a good friend now. He's we're a kind legend. Of, we're working on series two. So, But when Warrior came out, I was already a fan of Tom, and I said, an MMA fan, I was like, has this been made specifically for me? Because this is, <laughs> this is like everything I'm into. So I was one of the guys who was, who was there first yeah, weekend. But yeah, it, it was a niche thing. Yeah, look, not a lot of people knew about it at the time, <laughs> but it's one of those things you'd be super proud of looking back to go, yeah. you know, that, that, those films, they're the great ones. Animal Kingdom, you know, when people come up and say they love Animal Kingdom, I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to have a chat. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. There's so many of those little films and... I, you know, I have my own fascination about other films out there that other people have done. And yeah. I'm just like, oh, I wish I was involved in that, you know. Yeah. There's a bunch of guys in LA, uh, sorry, in New York, that are behind, like, that push that began with Martha Marcy May Marlene. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 You know, Simon Killer and all that yeah. stuff. Those guys, Antonio yeah. um, and, 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 and all of them that are making, like, me and David and Nash, they're, they're like a gang that are kind yeah. of working together. That that shit is cool because people spur each other on, you know, get inspired by each other's work, and you know. and and you're watching everyone. I don't know. It, it makes every idea a reality or achievable. Yeah, I mean, makes you go, oh, we could do that because yeah. you do it once. You go, well, we didn't think that we could just make a film, but we did. Yeah. Now we could make this and make that. It's it's it, it's funny you said um, people who love Animal Kingdom because I um, auditioned. I think it was last year for for the king. Oh, which did is, you? And, and I kind of I went into the audition. I was like, I love what Joel does, David, um, Ben, all of these. I love Animal Kingdom and the guy, the casting Des. director, Des, who's brilliant. I yeah. was, I've buddied up with me, such a good guy. But he said, "Well, no, you can't love Animal Kingdom. It's so dark." And it's like, I'll take oh, no, that you, you appreciate <laughs> it. And I was like, "Well, yeah, no, you, well, you know what I mean." I'm not saying it's like it's my put on for a good time film, but it was, yeah, it was yeah. good to have that moment. I was like, I love it. He's like. Like, yeah, you, I, <laughs> no, I, I actually disagree with Des. I love Des, but I think you can love Animal Kingdom because there's something David does that's, is is incredible. Is he he puts a spin on a scene that that is 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 sort of a sleight of hand. You know, there's this great scene in Animal Kingdom where Ben Mendelsohn is questioning the loyalty of his nephew. Yeah, and he's, yeah. he's he and the way he does it is he's he talks about him making a gay drink and yeah. wearing a gay suit. And he's he's attacking his yeah. his his masculinity, yeah. and and the the scorpion tail in the end of that scene is him saying, "Look, if this was your funeral, and, and he's talking about my character, yeah, and Baz yeah, was here, yeah. they wouldn't even, we wouldn't even be having a conversation." And you can laugh squirmishly at the dialogue because yeah. of the way Ben's handling it and the words that David's put on the page, yeah. but then it has that fucking sting in it. Yeah. which is beautiful writing. And, and so I think you can enjoy that movie and you can enjoy the darkness of it. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, and or how's it been kind of getting back with a lot of those guys for The King? Well, I won't go into it in huge detail, but it's got yeah. 
Timothy um, Chalamet yeah. as well, who's amazing. He's smashing it at the moment. So it feels like an exciting one and a, a great yeah, project. Look, I have to but, say... But, but worlds apart, because it's all kind of medieval. I mean, if you look at me, you can see why I get auditions for stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I've got the medieval the look. There's beard got in the big business. Beard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It drags me, it gets me through, through the door. And Des is one that... Anything he asks me in for, it's like, I love, I love, he's always working on great shit. If I've heard of it or not, I'm like, yeah, I'll come in. You've and got out a shoe in on about. Viking. You've yeah. got to have had a shoe in on, on, on what's it called Game of Thrones. G- g- genuinely, I was lined up for Game of Thrones and, and, uh, and Nina Gold, who casts it, was saying, um, yeah, we, because she put me in taboo, was like, oh, we're definitely going to have you in Thrones. And then she got the script through for the last, uh, for, for these last series. She's like, I should, I should have known this, but they're not adding anyone. They're clearly just k- killing everyone. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no roles up. to give you. They're just killing. Like, we're, we're getting rid of actors, not, our, so, not inviting in new ones. Killing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I guess so. That makes sense. <laughs> that? When I'll tell you the one thing about The King, which is really fascinating, you know, because, you know, I was in David's first short film. Right. And uh, and and then, you know, we, we made Animal Kingdom. I was only on that for two weeks, yeah. you know, and then... You know, I've watched him just step it up, step yeah. up the game with the big boys. And then, you know, we started writing this adaptation of Henry V, probably 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not a Shakespeare thing. It's, a, you know, we wrote, we wrote other dialogue. We, we looked at other aspects of the real history. We created our own aspects of it through research. And, and um, but anyway, regardless of how it all came to be, finally someone ponied up for it. It was Netflix, and yeah. we were sitting out there in this field in Budapest, in in a foot deep of mud, even though it's summer, because we had to create this sort of the aftermath of the Battle of Agincourt. And yeah. we got two hundred men with armor, and we got four like uh, uh, eighty horses in full armor. And David and I just looking at each other, just going, "Who, who was crazy enough to let us do this? You know, let this happen. You let it happen." And Mend- you know, obviously Mendo's there, he's playing Henry IV. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're very Australian about being being like you know dismissive of the fact that we were there. But you know, as in we were there and like, oh, how did this happen? But you know, we we work our asses off to make yeah. it happen. But it happens. There's the evolution upwards happens slowly of going. You know, start small, step it up. Yeah. That's what I'm doing too with Boy Raised. It's like, you know, what do I do next? How do I how do I expand myself? What's the next challenge? Yeah. Um, and to and to never kind of do the Australian thing of shuffle around and look at my shoe and go, oh, I don't deserve this. It's like, yeah. all right, I back myself now. I'll stand up and say I worked hard for it. I'll make sure that I keep my eye on the prize and make sure that I I, I try and dedicate myself to each moment of it so that I don't slip up and drop the ball I love it but I am very appreciative of it and I think that there are times where I go because you know you always want more I want more I want more I want more and and to think take some time appreciate what's happened you know do that thing where you picture bringing your 10 year old self to the set of the king and going hey look what look what you're gonna do yeah yeah yeah, and actually have the gratitude for it because it's very easy for me to not have gratitude and get too cynical about things that's so key though right the 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 reason on on both on taboo and a a show i did called the bastard executioner the reason the small characters I was cast for grew into bigger characters was because I was excited to be there. Like, yeah. I was genuinely, I had that because I've started all this late. I've done m- m- music for years, but been a fan of TV and film. So I'm literally, I'm on set like, this is mad, isn't it? And there's people mm. going, oh, I've been waiting three hours and all this and getting that typical s- cynical actor thing. 
and it just goes across well if you're if you're on set like it's yeah. mad isn't it it's, a, like, it's a privilege man it's yeah. a privilege to do it it's a privilege in many ways to even you know be part of making a movie or a tv yeah. show and and to even think like when you look at how some other people make their money or lead their lives or don't yeah. don't have a chance of even making money to think yeah. that you could complain about being on set it's mad, right? i had this uh I was a girl I was working with. I've worked in factories. I've worked. I've been delivery guy. That's it. I'm sitting there. Like, oh, we had to come in three hours early. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll get over it. I, it'll took, be, it'll I, took, right. I took an actor aside. It was like fresh out of the box, yeah. like fresh out of drama school, and we were made to wait for a bunch of time. She's like, "Oh, this is so tedious." And yeah. I was like, hey, "Come here, come here. <laughs> Listen, you are fresh yeah. out of drama school. You are on an incredible movie set." Yeah. I, I don't care if you wait eight hours. You should just have a lot of gratitude for yeah. you landed on your feet, and you should know that. And don't complain, don't grumble about it. Completely. You know? Why would you? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start to, to wrap things up now. But before I do, it's, it, it seems crazy to say it. To, to me, it felt like the gift was your real coming out part, and that seems crazy to say considering you'd done. Two Star Wars films at that point. You'd done Warrior. You'd done all these these huge things. But the gift really felt like the one that people went, oh, that guy has got something here. And and it's beautiful that that was something that was your project. And, yeah. and, and, and you'd created that. That was a character you'd made for yourself. How was that for that to be the first time you've taken that risk, directing and, and, and being a lead in it as well? for that risk to pay off and work and, and to kind of reaffirm with you, no, I do know what I'm doing. They, they, they were right to take a risk on me. Yeah, well, you know, I was terrified. And, and to be honest, the movie took a while to get made, not just because people took a while to trust me uh, to, to sign, sign up, you know, or to, to help finance it because they're like first-time filmmakers are a yeah. mystery. Yeah. Are you going to see it through? But not only did other people not trust me enough to do it really quickly, I wasn't trusting myself. And so any time I got close to maybe being able to make the movie, I, I used any excuse in the world to yeah. go off and shoot something else. It's understandable. To delay it. But then once I finally ponied up to do it, I was like, all right, do my homework. You know, I, I've, I mean, one part of me thought, you got this. You know what you're doing. You've been on that many movies since. You've got, you've got it all in your head. The other part of me was just like, what is going to happen? Like, mm. And also, like, what kind of a person am I going to be? Like, I might be able to build a scene. I might be able to work with the actors. But what if, what if under the stress I turn into a complete knob version of myself? Yeah, you know? and it's possible. And you will have seen that on set. Yeah. And you will have seen the good and the bad. Yeah, and, and it's a high-pressure situation. when you're on that side of it to go, oh, that guy's being a prick. Yeah. But when you're on the other side of it, you don't know how you're going to and, react. And the first sign that I felt like I knew what I was doing and I was, I'd made the right choice was like two or three days in when I'd seen the first day's rushes cut together in yeah. a scene. And I was like, I. I think I know what I'm doing. I know I'd build the scenes, right? Yeah. And then the big question was once I'd wrapped the shoot, was like, is this the whole music of this thing going to hold together? Like, yeah. is the story going to work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when it came out and, and not only did the critics embrace it, but we, we, we actually made more money at the box office than anyone ever imagined we yeah. would. Yeah. I was like, this is awesome. But like, like your story about being doing your last gig, I was yeah. like, should I just quit now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Should I, I just go of, one for one? It's and gone like, well. I've resisted for so long. I finally <laughs> went on it and it's worked. Let's just fucking, let's leave it there. Yeah, so I was, I was very nervous going to the second one. I thought, oh, all those nerves will go away and I can just get on with making a movie. Mm. But I'm, I'm actually happy to report that as I got closer to making Boy Raised, 
yeah. it, the, the good jitters came back because I think you need the good jitters to, to know that you, you've got a challenge on your hands and you, you've, you've got to stay sharp and focused in order to get it done because <laughs> if you were just going in there strolling without a pulse, yeah. it wouldn't be worth doing. How did it feel? I will wrap things up on this. How did it feel watching the rushes of those performances as, as, they, as they were coming through? Because Nicole Kidman in this just knocks it out of the park. Russell Crowe as well. Everyone, everyone involved. I thought again, it had that feeling that every character had their own internal struggles that weren't always explained. Like like one of the other guys in there, kind of, it felt like there was so much going on that you never felt the need to spoon feed. Yeah. Here's his story. It's yeah. kind of it's like, no, you know there's so much there. Yeah. How did it feel to start to watch them back and go, oh, wow, this is, oh, it, I've put the right people together. This is... Yeah, it's incredible. I had this weird, you know, people laugh when they watch me behind the monitor because I, it's like I get my full body is involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have these things like, you notice I carry this, this, this ball around. I have this OCD thing with a tennis ball or right. a ball I carry yeah, and yeah, yeah. bouncing it all the time. And when, when a take starts, I put it on top of the monitor and it stays there until the end. Amazing. And I sit there and I watch the thing and I get physically involved. And quite often, oh, wow. like we're, say, Nicole or Russell doing a take, yeah. this right arm of mine will just slowly creep into the air like a slow kind of victory punch in the air yeah. and then if it's like yeah, I'll cart, grab the ball and I'm bouncing around I get really excited being oh, on set uh, when you're done today go on YouTube and Google Ch- 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 Chuck Liddell watching fights because oh, he's exactly that he's yeah. in the crowd kind of he's bobbing he's weaving and all that so that's perfect well, I'll, I'll end it there thank you very much for your time man it's Dude, been a pleasure that was great man There we go. That was episode 251. I hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Um, Do you ever think about the fact that when you hear an intro on a podcast and then you hear the podcast and then you hear the outro, the person recording it, they've recorded the outro straight after the intro. Like I barely took a breath. I may not have paused. Buddy Peace might have had to chop you know, me mid, mid-sentence mid slash stutter. But, um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because you have now all listened to all of that. Secret is, I recorded this podcast in December. But thankfully, it's testament to what a good guest Joel is, because I remember it all. Um, and the thing that I wanted to talk about, the thing that really st- stuck with me after that conversation was him talking about just making stuff that you're going to be proud of and not worrying about the commercial side of it too much because if you make something great then even if not many people see it the right people will tend to to see it it's, it's when he's talking about the kind of opportunities he's got and the opportunities he got off the back of some quite you know left field cult not huge commercial success things but him and his mates all kind of impressed in these areas and have all are all going on to do these absolutely amazing huge things and it really jumped out to me i've had a few points recently where i've had people who i really respect um in acting in comedy in film in any of these things kind of hit me up and say how much a certain song of mine from 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 back in the day meant to them 
and I'm a weird one. I don't reflect too much. I don't look back. I also don't look forward. I, I, I get really focused on the current projects and the current goals. And because I always have so many, I genuinely, I forget that I've had a whole career doing music. And to some people, it meant a lot. And, you know, we had some chart success, had some stuff in album charts, singles charts on the radio, on TV and stuff like that. But you still wouldn't say it's commercial pop, pop star type uh, career. So, yeah, it's mad when you have those things that come back on you and kind of go, you know, you did some, you put in some time here and it was, it was worth something, you know. And I've had that a few times recently since this discussion with Joel. And, yeah, it really kind of, it, it made me think of it every time. It's like, right, all of that, everything I'm trying to get done now and feeling at points like I'm at the start, at square one in acting, in script writing, and all these things that I'm really just kind of, banging on doors and hustling away locked away in my in my little room at home writing when no one's asked for any of this writing there's no demand for it it's all just projects i need to get out of me and then you kind of realize right no you i've spent years laying down the groundwork it was in different areas but it's still in storytelling in writing in performing in all of these things so yeah it was cool to hear that from joel and it was really yeah i i, I found him to be a lovely a lovely chap and just a genuine and down to earth just a proper bloke a lad a geezer but not in the negative kind of banter way anyway next week's guest who have i got next week i don't even know oh no i'm not going to tell you because it's not actually 100 percent confirmed yet so this comes out on the wednesday penciled in i've got a podcast to record yesterday on the tuesday and tomorrow on the thursday and if they both happen, I think I'll put them both out next week because they're dope and they're going to surprise you and you're going to be very excited. And then after that, I've got one, two, three, four, five already recorded. So yeah, there's a lot to come basically, but I'm not going to tell you anything. If you follow me on Patreon, that seems like I planned that. But at patreon.com slash Pip, I post a photo after every podcast I, when I record them. So, so if you go over there and join now, it's only a dollar a month. If you go over there and join now, then you can see if I recorded yesterday's and you'll be able to see if I record tomorrow's. Um, and you'll also be able to get Poem of the Month, which started on Monday. So, I mean, it feels like you could just join for a dollar this week and then cancel and get your money's worth because you'll get the poem, you'll get to know about two guests or you'll get to know I didn't. If they don't happen, I'll do a post as well and tell you. Um, so, yeah, that seems good value. But the hope is you'll pledge that dollar and then it won't, you're not going to notice a, do, a dollar. It's less than a quid a month coming out of your account. The hope is you'll pledge and then it'll stay there and we'll, uh, it'll be cool. But, yeah, that's what's going on. Until next week, where it could be a double week, because they're both, again, I should mention that they're both press junket ones. And, and basically, I'm going to, pull back the curtain now basically they're both ones where at press junkets I, I normally ask for 60 to 90 minutes if it's someone i really really want i'll go down to 45 and both of these i'd agreed to go down to 45 i think and both of these they came back and i was told by the people organizing the press it's not them it's not even the people organizing the press the fact i get this amount of time it's longer than anyone else so i'm i'm never offended that they can't give me the time but um they came back saying oh all good um but we've given you half an hour i hope that's okay and on, on, on both of them i said nah i'll leave it 
because I've got, as I said, I've got their guests that I really want to talk to, but I've got a lot of guests at the moment. And you guys, I want to make sure you're not being sh- sh- shortchanged. Because, you know, it's not all about the really long episodes. Some people, it's, I can see on my stats that the longer the episode, the more people will, will, will drop off at times because that's just the nature of listening. A lot of people don't work more than an hour away or live more than an hour away from their work. Therefore, their travel normally is when they listen to podcasts around an hour, hour or just under. It's kind of perfect. But still, half hour doesn't feel... Particularly as they're both guests who I know I can talk to for hours and hours and hours. So half hour would just feel like a tease. Um, So I cancelled them both. And then they both came back (laughs) saying, oh, actually, we've managed to... We think we've managed to sort your 45. So yeah, they're both that. Oh, I should also mention, goddamn. In fact, I'll mention this now and I'm going to get buddy piece to cut this and put this in the intro as well and you'll get to hear it here too and me saying it's going to be cut so you will have already heard the following sentence and now through the uh, through completely pulling back the curtain you'll see that buddy pieces has has hoodwinked you and tricked you and you didn't even notice you thought i said this like an hour ago i didn't but here we go i'm going to say it now Oh, oh! Also, I should mention this week Pod Bible launches, and Pod Bible is a, pod, a free podcast magazine that, that I was asked to get involved with uh, by Stu Whiffin and, and Adam Richardson. Um, it's in association association with Spotify and Acast. It's amazing. Um, there's reviews. There's a section from buddy peace who's a great producer um of this podcast and you know i don't think i i make him have to do loads of work it's not like i make him cut things and move them around or anything i just intro outro podcast um but yeah he's he's got a column in there about how to create your own podcast there's a lot of sections it's there's a lot of recommending podcasts there's an interview with adam buxton and an interview with craig richardson both in this first um this first edition um it's going to be every two months and we will have given them out ourselves personally on monday at train stations in london we will also have left a load in london and the good news is the digital version will be out on monday uh, the 11th of february so follow all the pod bible at pod bible on twitter instagram and all that and you'll get all the information there we go now now, Buddy Peace will have cut that and put it in the intro, and you'll be like, oh, I didn't even notice. And I even got a little subliminal like joke in there about I don't make him do much work. It's not like I make him cut and paste stuff. And you heard that earlier in the intro. You didn't even flinch, mate, you mugs. You heard that in the intro and just thought, yeah, no, he doesn't. That's, that's, that's a fair thing to say. Why would I mention that randomly? That'd be a weird thing to mention, but you heard it and you didn't think twice. Oh, I have rinsed you guys. You should feel ashamed. Oh, oh, I need to end it there. I will see you all next week. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Ta-ta.